We are jumping into a brand new series called Carols, and what we're going to do every single week is we're going to look at a different carol, and uh, Christmas carols specifically, and kind of just see what God has for us in each of these. I don't know about you guys, but like I sing these, and I kind of turn my brain off because I've sung them a bajillion times, and I don't even know the words, and I kind of get kind of confused, so... um, we're going to kind of pause and say, okay, intentionally look at these. A lot of them have some amazing, amazing theology that's there and, and some great things that we can pick apart from them. Um, tonight, we're going to look at Oh Holy Night. We sang it earlier, and uh, it's definitely one of my favorite Christmas carols. Um, but I want to give you some background on this carol before we kind of jump into what it says, okay? And... Um, First and foremost, it was written during the mid-1800s, okay? So it's going to be a, a short history lesson. Bear with me. Um, a parish priest actually commissioned a poet, um, and he has like this really weird name. So instead of, it's like Placid? I don't know. Anyway, he commissioned this, this poem, and he said, hey, can you write a poem on Luke 2? And uh, this guy, he went and he wrote, this poem on Luke 2, but what's really interesting is the guy that he commissioned for this was not a Christian. Actually, he was not a Christian at all, and here he writes, like, his perspective, like, what he gets out of Luke 2, which I think is beautiful. Um, So I just encourage you, like, take an opportunity, go back, look at the lyrics, and just see what a non-believer would pull out of Gospel chapter 2, Gospel of Luke. So what's interesting is he wrote this poem, and it was really good, and he thought, man, this is so good, I should get some music um, written to this or composed for this poem, and so he did, and the guy that he asked his friend to um, put, put music to this poem was also not a Christian. And so the next thing you know, you have these two guys, they've put, um, in fact, the guy who was a, a poet was actually known in the town where they live for being kind of a hellraiser. And so this is kind of interesting that these two guys partnered together, they, they, they read, interpreted, and extracted like what Luke 2 was trying to say, and they put it into poem form, and that's what we have today in the song, Oh Holy Night, and I think it's really cool. Um, the song was so popular, exploded in the Catholic Church. And uh, after like a couple years in, somebody finally figured out who just actually wrote that song. And they were like, whoa, we need to stop singing this song as written by pagans. Like, we need to put a, put a break on this. And it was too late. It was so wildly popular. It had already been mass produced. And um, many people were engaging with it. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then five decades later, five decades later, um, this guy named Reginald... He's a professor. He was um, throwing some parts together in his garage. He made this makeshift generator. And uh, I'm not sure all the components. I'm sure there's like an antenna and all this stuff. He put together actually the very first AM radio station in history and plugged a microphone in and read Luke 2 over the airwaves. Okay. And then he proceeded to play the song on his violin over the airwaves. Um, Jack had a really good question earlier. We were talking about it. It's like, who, who actually got to hear that? <laughs> right? If it was the first AM broadcast in history and this is the first song that was ever played over the radio, I don't know that anybody heard it. But it's A for effort, right? <laughs> um, who in here has the tradition of putting up the manger scene? you know, a a nativity scene in your house. Maybe you have a bunch of them. Maybe you've got the porcelain one and the wood one and the clay one and all these different 
manger scenes or, or one that looks like this up here. And uh, if you look at that, it's like, oh, man, it makes it look so majestic and peaceful. And, uh, and I think it's beautiful, right? It's great for helping remind us of the reason for the season. But I think it kind of does a disservice for, for us. Um, it almost takes away the reality of the moment, right? Um, and we do this all throughout Christianity, right? We paint this idealistic picture of things when in reality they were very different, right? Check out this video. I want it, Gary. No, no, honey. Yeah. No, 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 no. You said you yeah. didn't want it, and you said that even if you did ask for it, that that would just be the crazy talking. Oh, Gary, get me the juice. That seemed a little crazy. <laughs> oh, man, get me the juice. Anyway, um, I've never been there, so, I, you know, I watch these movies, and uh, I don't know if that's accurate at all, but here's what I'll say. We have all this technology and sterile environment in our hospitals, and it's still chaos. It's absolute chaos. And I can't imagine, um, you know, what was the reality around the situation? We had a teenage girl impregnated by the Holy Spirit, right? She's like traveling with her teenage fiance, and, and I'm sure they were scared to death, and they traveled like 80 to 120 miles to arrive at this town, and there was literally no place to stay in the town, so they end up in this like cave, and most scholars think it was like a, uh, like a shelter where these animals, you know, went to to get away from um, harsh weather. And so here they are, they're like in this cave, worst possible environment, for this to happen, there's, um, you know, there's no epidural at all, right? Uh, there's a teenager screaming probably. There's animals around. And I'm just thinking, like, that's not what I see on these, these nativity scenes, right? It's messy. It's probably scary. It's probably, like, oh, dark. Um, and this is, this is the scene where... God enters into time and space. It's kind of messy, right? It's not what we think of when we're, you know, getting ready and we're decorating our Christmas tree and, and everything's nice and, and tidied up and beautiful and sparkly and all these things, right? This was real life. It's kind of scary. Um, and I think this is kind of how God is. It's like um, we need to we need to be really careful not to, you know, sterilize our our experiences with Christ and make them too, you know, pedestrian, right? We need to lean into the messiness of it, especially during this season. And so this song, Oh Holy Night, um, is talking about this scene, this night, this holy space. And um, I my prayer is that as we take a look at a couple of phrases from this song that you know, every time you ever sing this song again, I hope that these lyrics like l leap off of the screen or, or whatever you're looking at and, and just remind you of the realities of these moments, right? And, and, and actually singing this song will be 
different in the future. Maybe not just singing it. Maybe it's a, a place where we can enter into and really worship because we're thinking about what this song really talks about. So um, we're going to jump into one of the stanzas, and I'm going to read this to you really quickly. We just sang this, and it says, A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So just thinking about this phrase, um, there's so much in the song. And actually, I think you can go through this carol and pull out the words and, and really, you could, you could do, you could, you know, go for months just digging apart all of the theology in these songs. So um, tonight we're going to look specifically at this stanza. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I just want to pause and think about, reflect on for a moment this word weary. A weary world rejoices. And I think this is kind of significant because, number one, weary is an excellent way that we can describe the world that we live in today, right? I mean, thinking about everything that's going on, we're just weary. I, I heard about, um, what is it? It's, uh, it's like there's compassion fatigue, right? People caring for others. Um, there's, there's like anxiety fatigue where you're, you're kind of worried about things that are happening around the world so much that it makes you weary, there's, um, there's a new thing in the work environment where they used to consider like your physical labor only, but now they're talking about adding into the equation this idea of like emotional labor, the things that you have to deal with emotionally when you're at your job. And we are just a weary people. We're kind of in this place. I don't know about you guys, but I'm tired. Like, man, we, this new variant and like all this stuff and like... I don't, I literally, I don't even listen to the news and I get people that are talking to me and they're like, you know, but what about this? And I'm like, I don't even want to hear it because I'm weary of it, I'm weary of it. I want to be encouraged. Um, so here we are like proceeding into this holiday season and we're, uh, you know, in, in this place. And not about you guys, but I always... I'm like, man, there's so many things going on, and just the thought of all of it is kind of daunting. And uh, because I'm an introvert, I start to get a little bit of anxiety um, thinking about all the events to go to and the things to dress up for. And, the, you know, um, and, and, and like if you don't meet everybody's expectations, somebody gets upset at you, and it's like a mess. But this weary world rejoiced. I think that's interesting and, and, and maybe an encouragement for us that even when we're weary, maybe we can find a place in our heart to rejoice. Um, why are they rejoicing? They're rejoicing because it says a thrill of hope. There's a thrill of hope on the horizon. I don't know, I heard, I heard this the other day and I thought this was really good. Um, you can live for 40 days without water. You can live for seven to eight days. I don't know if the, the accuracy of these statistics, I just heard this and I was like, man, that's good. Um, you can live with, for 40 days without water, seven to eight days, excuse me, 40 days without food, seven to eight days without water, three to four minutes without air, but only seconds without hope. And that made me think about 
you know, entering into the season, do we have hope? Um, and that got me thinking about, like, what is hope in the first place? We see this word around. In fact, um, my wife and I launched a nonprofit back in 2017, and we called it Bridge Hope. And it was funny. Um, you know how, like, when you buy a car, you automatic automatically start seeing all of that same exact car, and you're like, man, I never knew that so many people had this car. Um, so anyway, after we launched a nonprofit, we realized, like, man, all of these nonprofits have this word hope, and it was, like, played out. We almost didn't like the fact that, that we had done that. But um, what we do is, and, and the reason that we started this organization is because we saw um, victims of trafficking, right? They would be pulled out of a, an exploitative situation and... Um, and what would happen is, is uh, this, the, the police officers were kind of telling us the story about how because they didn't have the resources made available to them, like the you know, basic needs and shelter and some of these things, that they would actually end up falling back into the hands of their traffickers because they lost hope. We've, we've heard stories about this of just incredible tragedies and, and people that endured and um, the, the ones that like survived were the ones who had hope. Do we have hope going into this season or where is our hope? These survivors, what we've been able to see, and, and this isn't at all tooting our own horn, but just just a, a miracle is that when these survivors begin to see that they have resources made available to them and there's like a, a community of people around them that just love them and they're praying for them and they're encouraging them and they realize maybe freedom is possible. And you see that glimmer of hope just kind of twinkle in their eye, right? There's, they're sitting there and you're talking to them about the possibilities of the future, about maybe getting into school, and, and, and there's a sense of disbelief, like, no, I, I, I could never do that. I could never, I could never go to school, right? I mean, are, are you forgetting? This is, this is who I've, I am. I've been living on the streets for 10 years, and you're telling me I could go to school? Are you kidding me? But there's like that glimmer of hope that just kind of sparks in their eyes, and it's beautiful. And um, so when I think about hope, um, my, my favorite quote of all time, C.S. Lewis, he says, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. I am the eternal optimist, right? I, I'm always like looking at the, uh, or trying to look at the good side of things, but I think C.S. Lewis nailed it. If it's like, if he was trying to get at a definition of hope, this is what it is. It's when I'm convinced that tomorrow is going to be better than today. At the end of the day, that's what it is. It's when I'm convinced that the future is, is full of possibilities or there are some possibilities. So what's despair? Despair is the absence of that hope. I love this analogy because it speaks to our Savior. But just the analogy between hope and light. Hope and light. If you think about light, what is, what is, um, actually, let's go from the reverse side. What is darkness? Darkness is nothing but the absence of light. Despair is nothing but the absence of hope. 
the difference one day makes with Jesus is like world changing, right? He came on this holy night. He was our light and he was our hope and he dispelled our darkness and he dispelled our despair. Because of him, we have hope tonight. So we're going to jump into Lamentations really quickly. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you might be like, well, that's kind of weird because we're talking about Jesus. And uh, yeah, this is what we're going to do. So um, go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at um, chapter one really quickly. And I'm going to ask you some questions. I totally want some feedback. You can Google this if you want. It's totally fine. But I want to ask you, what? how many characters are there in the Hebrew alphabet while you're looking up? Lamentations, how many characters are in the Hebrew alphabet? I'm pretty sure that's Greek. Anybody? No. <laughs> it's 22. I'll give you the answer. 22. 22. All right, here's what I want you to do. Somebody tell me how many verses are in chapter 1 of Hebrews. 22. Whoa. All right, trivia night, right? <laughs> All right, so listen, follow me. There are 22 characters in the Hebrew alphabet, and there are 22 verses in chapter 1 of Hebrews. So what do we have? Some translations actually help you out. They'll show you, oh, here's the first character of the Hebrew alphabet, and then you see verse 1. And they'll say, here's the second character of the Hebrew alphabet, and then you'll see, chapter, or you'll see verse 2. And so what we actually see taking place in Lamentations is an acrostic. It's beautiful. Jeremiah is lamenting the destruction of, of Israel. Um, we talked about Habakkuk, right? Habakkuk wrote before and kind of leading up to the destruction of Israel. Um, and Jeremiah is actually writing after the fact. So Israel has been destroyed. Jerusalem is gone. The people have been dispersed. And, and Jeremiah is lamenting, he's, he's sad, he's expressing his sorrow over this fact. And um, you guys, did you guys ever write an acrostic for mom on Mother's Day in elementary school? Did you guys ever do that, right? Why did you do that? Because an acrostic is like what we do when we want to express the extreme nature of how awesome mom is, right? She's so cool. M is for what? Marvelous, right? Like, like we do that and we go through and it says mommy or mother or whatever. And that's what the author of Lamentations is doing right here. He is, he's doing an acrostic, but what is he doing? He's, ex he's expressing that he is exhausting the entire Hebrew alphabet every possible way within the Hebrew language about how heartbroken he is over the destruction of Israel. And uh, it's rough. He's like really, really, really heavy in how he's... <laughs> Cassie, you could just take the whole bag if you want. Do you want to just take the whole bag? Just take the whole bag. For realsies. You sure? Okay. Okay, cool. All right. Okay, so chapter 1, 22 verses. 22 verses. It's an acrostic. He's like 
expressing the depth of his pain. Okay, chapter 2. How many verses are in chapter 2? 22. All right. So, yeah. So, chapter 2, what is he doing? He's doing the same thing again. He is writing again. He's he's exhausting every avenue in the Hebrew language to express his sorrow. And so uh, that's why they call this book Lamentations, right? Because it's it's a lament. It's deep. It's it's heartbreaking. It's it's sad. All right. Here's a trick one. How many verses are in tw- at in chapter 3? Nope. What? I think I heard it. 66. Good job. Good job. Good job. Good job. All right, so you, you guys know I nerd out on Hebrew poetry, right? Um, here's the thing. So a Hebrew poet, when they're in a, when they have like a pattern that they're going on, when they break that pattern, that's like them saying, pay attention. It's like they're trying to grab you by the shoulders and say, look, 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 look here. Okay, so we're going to look at chapter 3. We're going to look at chapter 3 and see what Jeremiah has for us in chapter 3. Scoot down here. We're going to start at verse 19. Now, you can read the rest of it, but it's all sad. He's like lamenting how God's destroyed the people. And he's and, and the big question is, has God left his people? And um, here's where we're going to start just on verse 19. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. So he's not ignoring the pain. He's not saying, you know, I'm just going to ignore it and maybe it'll go away or whatever. He's facing it. He's saying, I call to mind, I remember, I'm facing the reality that Jerusalem, that Israel as we know it is gone dispersed all over the region, everywhere, probably to, to, to other continents even. And he's, he's facing it head on. Um, has God abandoned his peoples? The big question here. And then let's go to verse 21. He says, and yet this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. There's that word, hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his passions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, I don't know how many of you guys grew up in the church, but there's a hymn called Great is Thy Faithfulness. And that hymn is written about this verse, this passage, this specific section. And the interesting thing is like if you go and look at the hymn, you know, these hymns are like, they're amazing and they have this beautiful theology. And if you said, hey, um, the passage for that hymn came out of one of the darkest books of the whole Bible, I don't know, I don't know what kind of response you would get, but the song is not at all sad. It's like amazing, great is your faithfulness. God in the midst of the, the incredible despair that's going on around us in the weary world, great is your faithfulness. 
and it, you know, it's hard to get a sense of it, I would totally recommend if you get a chance, sit down and read through Lamentations and you'll see it. It's like chapter one is hard to read. He's talking about how Israel has prostituted herself out, that God has given her over to her own um, desires for the other gods, right? So, so idolatry and all of these things and corruption and evil, that's chapter one. Chapter two, it's the same thing. It's just, it's sad. He's lamenting these people that he loved, this nation that he loved, this nation that was supposedly God's people have been destroyed. God has turned his back on them. They're gone. They're gone forever. The temple, which is where God dwelled with his people, is destroyed. Chapter three, it's the same thing. Beginning, it's a nighttime season in Israel. There's heartache, there's death, there's destruction. And then right in the middle of the book, verse 21, and yet I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I want to tell you that even though this book is named Lamentations, it is not about lament. It's not what this book is about. You see, we talked about this a few weeks ago with Hebrew poetry. Um, the whole book is actually a chiastic structure. And the point, the major thrust that Jeremiah is trying to get across here is like, look, how, uh, um, what do they say? Stars shine the brightest at the darkest time of night, maybe? I think I've heard that somewhere, something like that, right? This is what Jeremiah is trying to do. He's trying to paint the deepest, darkest possible picture of where they're at as God's chosen people so that when he says, great is thy faithfulness, it's like this beautiful light of hope bursting through the darkness Showing us that we have a future, that we have a light, that we have a hope that has arrived because of God's great love and his faithfulness. I think it's important to, to note here that Jeremiah says, and this I call to mind. I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves um, Gosh, I, I feel like a lot of the passages that we've been studying have kind of been driving this home. Like we need to be reminding ourselves of the ways that God has been faithful, of the ways that he's miraculously intervened in our lives, of the ways that he's provided, because those are the things that we can go to when things are hard. And therefore, I have hope. So I just want to ask you real quick before we jump into small groups, what is your hope in Where is your hope tonight? I know, I know we're in church and the Christian thing is to say, oh, Jesus is where my hope is. But sometimes if we're real, if we're honest, we might say, my hope is in my job or my hope is in this relationship to bring fulfillment, to bring purpose, to bring value. Uh, my hope is in this thing that helps me. Maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's whatever. Um, that helps you kind of check out, right? Um, they they say, and I'm I'm not hating on video games, but the 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 reality is is that I think a lot of people do that because they're trying to check out of a hard world. It's hard. 
And it's not just that. It's, it's anything. It's any kind of addiction. Maybe it's shopping. It's whatever. But where is your hope this evening? Jeremiah would like to remind you that your hope is in Christ. And we think about this song, right, the song written by these non-Christians. They, they looked at this gospel, chapter 2 of Luke, and they took out this incredible, um, this incredible picture of a holy night. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for... Thank you for using these guys who didn't know you. You impressed upon their hearts to see what was plainly there. So many times I've read your word and I've been caught up in all the complexity of it and, and thinking, man, this is too hard. And these guys who don't know any theology, they don't know, they, they never took a Bible class, they'd never been to church, they had never had somebody to say, this is how you're supposed to think about it. And yet they look squarely at your word and this is what they take. They see that this night was holy. We look at this word holy, we see that it's set apart ordained, special. This was a night with the God of the universe coming into space and time and changing history as we know it and transforming this world. And so God, I pray for each person here that we would think deeply about what it means to spend a day with you and how you are in the business of transforming our lives. I just pray that you would continue to do that. Um, help us this season as we get into these, these carols, God, to just be intentional about our worship time, that we wouldn't just stand around and sing these songs, that we would really think about these words that we're worshiping and lifting up to you together, that it would not be cruise control, that we would think deeply as we approach the season where we celebrate your son, Jesus Christ. We just love you. In Jesus' name, amen.